0: Special shout out to one of our favorite media companies at Crooked Media. while hosting brilliant podcasts like Pod Save America, Hysteria, This Land, Love It or Leave It, and more, they even fund the things that matter. Chip in to the No Off Years Fund to support the work of organizers in key states who are making sure all eligible voters are registered early so they don't face any problems in making their voices heard next year. Your donation will be supporting frontline efforts in Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Wisconsin. Places where new voters will help make the difference in our ability to win in 2022 and beyond. I myself have donated to the cause and look forward to seeing the outreach we can create. Check out votesaveamerica.com. That's votesaveamerica.com to find out more. Welcome back to a new episode of Capital C's Pod. I'm Charles Greenley.
1: And I'm Nathan Crumpleton. Let's get right into the hill.
0: Only in California can you have a middle school teacher get stuck on a somewhat displeasing rant to all of their students. Besides saying that Trump was still the president, she also said, and I quote, Hunter Biden, for example, is doing deals with China and Ukraine where he was funneling money illegally. He also had child pornography on his laptop. He was having sexual intercourse with his own niece. And said, once again quoted, If you have a baby in the hospital, they don't want to give it back if you're not vaccinated the teacher said on one recording. This is a complete power control threat. Perhaps even crazier, the sole repercussion was that the Ventura Unified School District still has a teacher as an employee and says that they are going to work closely with staff for it not to happen again.
1: In a time of COVID, elections, low unemployment rates, and an all-time high stock market Republican Senator Josh Hawley uh, of Missouri has ultimately decided that the one top issue facing Americans is, drumroll please, masculinity. That's right. The Senator is under the firm belief that American men are being attacked and portrayed as a danger to society by the left. Not only are men being told that their manhood is a problem, but, uh, but that because of it, more and more men are withdrawing into the enclave of idleness and pornography and video games, in large part due to their just not being jobs. Little does Holly know that the unemployment rate is sitting at the lowest rate since the start of the COVID 19 pandemic. Holly wants to portray the left as thinking masculinity is toxic, but is simply too prideful to look at his own toxic hypermasculinity. It's pretty simple, Josh. Don't be a piece of garbage, and people won't see you as one.
0: Everyone has heard of the term woke by this point. Someone else who seems to have heard it? is Matthew Dowd, a former Bush campaign aide, now turned Democrat and candidate for Texas's Lieutenant Governor. Dowd tweeted, As I sat in church today, I was thinking that if Jesus were here today, he would be accused of being woke. How about we say it is human decency to treat all with respect and dignity that is constitutional to say all men and women are equal. Now while it seems his heart is in the right place, I'm not too sure about his head, as woke is now increasingly being given a negative connotation in recent years. I'm not so sure Dowd's comments help that in any way.
1: The GOP took a massive blow to their 2022 Senate hopes this week after New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu announced that he will not uh, he will run for re-election rather than challenge the Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan. As Republicans look for a path to take control of the Senate in 2022, New Hampshire was considered a key path with the Governor going to Washington of being a vital piece. While this doesn't necessarily mean it's an easy path for Democrats to retain that Senate seat, It is a bright spot for Democrats who are having quite the gloomy start to the 2022 cycle.
0: Now that we've got the anthill out of the way, we finally have gotten the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill through the House. So the next question is, what is actually in it? First off, it will deliver $550 billion in new federal investments in America's infrastructure over five years, touching everything from bridges and roads to the nation's broadband, water, and energy systems, Something definitely needed, as just this earlier this year, the American Society of Civil Engineers gave America a C-minus on the current infrastructure system. But let's get to the pennies and dimes. We have $110 billion for roads, bridges, and major infrastructure projects, $40 billion for bridge repair, replacement, and rehabilitation, $16 billion for major products that'll be too large or complex for traditional funding programs, $11 billion for transportation safety, $1 $1 billion to reconnect communities divided by highways and other structures, $39 billion to modernize public transit, $66 billion in passenger and freight rail investments, $65 billion investment in improving the nation's broadband infrastructure, $17 billion in port infrastructure, and $25 billion in airports to address repair and maintenance backlogs, $7.0 billion for zero and low emission buses and ferries, $7.5 billion would go to building a nationwide network of plug-in electric vehicle chargers. $65 billion to rebuild the electric grid. $55 billion to upgrade water infrastructure. $50 billion would go toward making the system more resilient. $21 billion to clean up Superfund and brownfield sites. So with all that being said, Nathan, what are your top two things you find to be great in this infrastructure bill?
1: Yeah, well... First and foremost, um, you know, after a long infrastructure week of six months, glad to see that it is finally through. Uh, and I mean, first and foremost, I think 40 million, uh, for 40 billion for bridge repair, replacement, rehabilitation is something that's desperately needed right now. And uh, I, I think I would be remiss if I don't give a shout out to Pete Buttigieg uh, and the 39 billion for modernizing public transit, um, something that our country desperately needs at the moment.
0: Yeah, um, the just in general, especially with the hundred ten billion dollars for the roads, bridges, and major uh, infrastructure projects, and the bridge repair with that forty billion dollars, um, I think it said that uh, currently, 02 percent of America's roads uh, are are really bad at this point. Um, so you're helping out a lot of states and a lot of, a lot of different places with road maintenance. That is been desperately needed for years and you know being from the southeast um we we see it on a on a daily basis
1: yeah for sure um i i think one of the big things that uh especially people in the south like to complain about is the roads Uh, and so with that we're seeing something that's actually going to have a impact on people's lives right uh we talked about the the unseen of politics and everything that goes behind the curtain in politics the thing about infrastructure and the thing that's so great about infrastructure is just things that are actually affecting the the daily life of the American person. Um, and, and so seeing that funding finally happen for roads is definitely a great first step.
0: Yeah, definitely. And even seeing some things that are kind of future-proofing, uh, just even the plug-in electric vehicle chargers uh, for the newly, um, probably up-and-coming electric cars that are, you know, Been on the market for a while, Um, not too many people that bought them, A, because it might have been too expensive, or B, they just didn't have the means to actually keep up with it. Uh, Now with these uh, $7.5 billion in two different ways for uh, more investments and learning about them and more investments in putting charges around, uh, maybe it's possible that we can see some uh, less emissions from the car industry soon.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, most, most of these major vehicle companies are moving towards a goal of zero emission, fully electric cars by 2030. Uh, and, and so part of that is being able to charge these electric vehicles, uh, and 7.5 billion goes a long way in helping that get done.
0: So, you know, knowing that it is $1.2 trillion, and then going over the prize tax of what exactly is in it, does that help the numbers seem uh, uh, better for you, or does knowing all the numbers kind of seem more of a, a weight on
1: your shoulders? Yeah, no, um, I, I think it's definitely a mix. When people hear the trillion number, they kind of freak out, but then you read the $55 billion for water infrastructure, $50 billion for resiliency and systems. 7.5 for for vehicles, 7.5 for buses and ferries. Uh, th- these are definitely more manageable, and it, it makes me feel better to know like it's not just this lump sum of money that we know where this money is going towards, and we're able to see the real change happen with what's allocated for each uh resource.
0: Yeah, and um, there's been always some kind of uh, back talk on it based off just how much money it really is. Um, And Democrats, uh, when putting this bill through, and well, bipartisan in general, when putting this bill through, they said that they had ways to actually pay for it. Um, Of course, with $1.2 trillion, it seems like there's a lot of money to make up there. Um, And with uh, a lot of their pay-for methods, um, the Congressional uh, Budget Board um, did not really uh, see a lot of those fit, but they said that in the 10 years that this would take to span out, um, there will be around a two hundred fifty billion dollars to the deficit, which is not bad at all. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, at the end of the day, we have to spend money to make the improvements where necessary. Uh, and the national debt is not a priority of the country at this moment. Um, and, and so using the spending for things that are going to have long term effects and long term benefits for the prosperity and the wellness of the American people. I think it's good just to see infrastructure finally get done in this country.
0: Yeah, agreed. Uh, is there a section that you believe where the money is unwarranted in, or I mean, is, is this, all of this is much needed?
1: So I, I don't think it's unwarranted, but I definitely want to highlight broadband upgrade because that was a massive debate and talking point of Republicans is how, how is broadband considered infrastructure? And Biden initially wanted about $100 billion invested into broadband and we ended up with 65. And I think that's a massive, massive win for the Biden administration. Uh, Just because, especially in the age of the COVID world where everything has transitioned online, uh, it's more important now than ever that low income households have access to the internet. And so the fact that we got that, I think it's just a massive, massive win for Democrats when it comes to defining what infrastructure is.
0: And speaking of just wins for Democrats, is the entirety of this passing an actual win for Democrats in the Biden administration?
1: I think it's definitely a win. I think it's the first step. I think what a absolute win is, is both the infrastructure bill and BBB both getting to Biden's desk. Uh, But with that, I mean, like I said, we haven't seen infrastructure done for years now, uh we had this debate for months that we never thought it was going to actually end up happening and here we are it's ready to go into law i think it's a win for democrats
0: yeah i do too and really the only thing that i see where there's some pushback on is that a lot of people believe that since we talked about the framework early um and what what the original numbers were supposed to be you know like you were saying like the 100 billion dollars for broadband Um, and it was originally like $150 billion inside this roads packages. So, I mean, is knowing the original numbers and now they're lessen. Uh, so like, is that a downsize on the achievement of getting this? Or should it still be excited?
1: I don't think it's a downsize because it's something that we knew was not going to happen. Right. When Biden initially said that he wanted 85 billion for transit systems, we knew that that was just not going to happen. Right. Uh, but the fact that we're still able to get a uh, thirty-nine billion for it is is, is a great win, uh, and, and I think that's part of the political game and system, and what something we're seeing with the Senate with BBB right now. Um, it is we have to make those adjustments where necessary, and things are going to get cut. That's just how the political world works.
0: Right, um, like you said, again, this is one of the biggest infrastructure um, surpluses or siphons that we've seen and since the 1950s, um, so it's definitely needed, definitely important, and definitely a win for Democrats and any, really, any legislation that puts it through. But the battle is still not over, instead we have to look toward the next piece that needs to be pushed through the House, the Reconciliation Bill under the name of the Build Back Better Act, but Republicans are back to the regularly scheduled programming by consistently blocking and tabling the vote. Senate Majority Leader Schumer says that Amy Point is before Thanksgiving, but with an already divisive caucus, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel. How do you feel on it?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that we're just now getting in the fu- in the fight of BBB. Um, we, we've we sat back time and time again, especially in this podcast. We're four episodes in, and four episodes in, we haven't seen any progress actually made on BBB. Um, and, and, and so I think it's time that our, the nails are starting to dig in a little bit, and we're going to start seeing some progress as Mansion and Cinema have both started to open up talking about what they want to see out of it Uh, so it'll just be interesting interesting to see what happens in a bill that I feel is necessary to complement the infrastructure bill
0: right and I mean the house after coming from its week-long recess looks to vote on the spending bill on the week of the 15th which they can only afford to lose three Democratic votes on since there will be no Republican votes in favor three Democratic no's is definitely attainable however as just this past week the actual bipartisan bill received six nays from House Democrats Six progressive members at that with AOC leading the charge. What do you think about the six no's on the Democratic side?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, the infrastructure bill at its finest was a bipartisan bill. The Republicans were necessary in order to pass this bill because the progressive Democrats of AOC and the squad uh, pretty much refused. With that being said, I have a feeling that the squad will fall in line and vote for BBB uh, because they know and they realize how tight this is actually going to be. And they realize that the infrastructure bill severely lacks if not accompanied with bbb
0: even after making it pass a somewhat turbulent democratic vote in the house they would then have to face the even harder challenge of appeasing our two favorite people in the world cinema and mansion while cinema has seemed to stray back in the lines with recent framework proposals mansion still hasn't publicly showed favor for any can we beat mansion down
1: i don't think it's about beating him down i think it's about showing him the light. Uh, we, we, we've seen pictures of Elizabeth Warren working very, very hard on Joe Mason uh, in order to just try to make some progress whatsoever. And, and so I think it's time for us to have those more serious talks and not these hypothetical talks of what is it going to take to get your vote? You know, uh, right now he's putting out what he wants to see. They're putting out what they want to see and they're kind of just saying, well, this isn't going to happen. Now it's time to sit at the table and actually get something done. Uh, That way we know what it will take to get mentioned in cinema on Democrats' side.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Um, At some point, I I assume they'll make it at a tunnel. Uh, Most of the Congress believes so. Biden also believes so. Uh, So, you know, there will be even more to talk about soon regarding the bills as the podcast continues down the month. But for right now, we're going to head to a break before we get down and dirty with studying some campaign and advertisements. While we're inside of our break, we have to talk about Paul Gosar's tweet where there is a badly edited anime trailer showing Gosar killing AOC and attacking Biden. Thoughts?
1: Um. Yeah, my first initial thought is... To the comms director, what in the hell are you thinking?
0: it's pretty interesting that I mean I think he put this video out on Twitter or posted it on Twitter um the morning I think that was two days ago um and it really didn't actually pick up traction to another around like eight hours later when people realized that what in the world did he just post um which you know got a response from AOC um and then got. Several other responses from different other um, opinions in politics uh, that all pretty much ask the same question like, uh, is he going to resign for this?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we're sitting at a time where political opposition and political heat is at an all time high, and a sitting congressman posts a video of him killing another sitting congresswoman. I, and not only tweets it from his political account from his personal account as well and, and so you just you just have to ask yourself what the hell like uh, it just it doesn't make sense
0: yeah and even with that the the accompanying caption to the tweet was the creativity of my team is off the hook do you think this was just a like supposed to be a thing to Uh, entertain the younger people in the generation and just became something just much worse
1: yeah I, i mean political campaigns are always looking for ways to engage with younger people but it's definitely not the right approach right like it's it makes no sense why anyone would think that this was a good idea i don't know how many people this went through but all of them have to sit back and say why would i ever approve this
0: Yeah, and it's even funnier to me because it is an anime called Attack on Titan. um, And in the actual uh, clip, it shows uh, Biden and AOC as two separate different titans. Um, And in the show's premise, titans are uh, pretty powerful, strong, um, and the humans that are fighting against them are pretty much uh, not going to be able to do it. It's just not of their uh, human possibility. To actually tackle these Behemoths that are in front of him So in a way, I kind of thought it was pretty uh, pretty Sweet for Gosar to basically Say that AOC and Biden are Bigger than he is
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I'm not gonna lie I didn't know much about Paul until this tweet And I think he's just as Puny as he was before, so
0: Yeah, he he got his little short Five minutes of fame in, in Twitter I guess you could say and we're back so after thinking about the recent state races i realized i wasn't really able to take part of the earlier parts of campaigning essentially i hadn't seen or heard each candidate's ads in either virginia or new jersey just because i simply don't live there instead the national focus has been on covid war immigration to biff and bub and i know we spent a little talking about the individual races in the last episode and honestly we've talked about it just too for the past week or so but I think it's only fair that we really dive down into the campaigns, at least from the ad standpoint, and see if we can find some consequential breaks and support. First up, the one that has been specifically all over the news, McAuliffe vs. Yunkin. Initially looking past the national ties, they yeah, have just because of the letter indicator by the name, I wanted to find respective ads about something both talked about, and Corona was definitely one of those. Check out McAuliffe's ad.
2: I'm Terry McAuliffe, candidate for governor, and I sponsored this ad. What kind of governor would Glenn Youngkin be? President Trump represents so much of why I'm running. And like Donald Trump, Glenn Youngkin refuses to take coronavirus seriously. Youngkin opposes requiring vaccines for health care workers and teachers. And despite the recommendations of the Centers for Disease Control and pediatricians, Glenn Youngkin is against requiring masks in schools. Glenn Youngkin is wrong for Virginia.
0: And now let's take a listen to Youngkin's.
2: I'm Glenn Yunkin, candidate for governor. I'm a business guy who loves numbers, and the numbers show COVID vaccines save lives. That's why I chose to get the vaccine. It's your right to make your own choice, and I respect that. I do hope you'll choose to join me in getting the vaccine. We can protect lives and livelihoods here in Virginia, and together, we can keep our communities, our schools, and our businesses open.
0: So Nathan, which one of these
1: did you like more? Um. So, I mean, I hate to say it, but I definitely appreciated Yunkin's more. Uh, he was speaking directly to the people. He said himself that he personally got the vaccine uh, and he believes it's somebody else's choice to get their own vaccine. Whereas for Terry, It was strictly saying Youngkin does this, Youngkin does this, Youngkin does this. Never said anything about his own personal opinion on the vaccine itself.
0: Right. Did you find it interesting that the virus response for McAuliffe was completely tied to Trump with Youngkin while Youngkin just simply stated what he believed?
1: Well, I mean, like we talked about last week, Charles, it doesn't surprise me because Terry's entire campaign was Youngkin is Trump, where I, and, and just the first ad that you and me are discussing in this episode, it shows that Yunkin is not necessarily just Donald Trump, right? Uh, and, and so it's not a surprise from Terry's move, and I think it was a mastermind dis- uh, approach from Youngkin, uh to to come out and just say that he supports the vaccine, right?
0: Yeah, and I do want to make a, a quick note about one specific thing that Yunkin did say in his ad. And the it's your right to make your own choice is that a very loud phrase here
1: uh I think it is a very loud phrase and it'll be even louder when he decides to shut down abortion clinics or women's healthcare clinics uh I, I think he gave democrats free ammunition to come back and say hey we're gonna hold you accountable for what you said you'll leave this with the vaccines but you don't believe this about women's rights
0: yeah it's it's No doubt that McAuliffe tried to bring in the choice aspect of abortion whenever he could, but he couldn't make a whole ad just pertaining to that since Youngkin had been very careful what he was saying about the subject during campaigning, which props to his campaign team for that. Um, But I I think uh, it was kind of a well-done ad on Youngkin's side um, just to A, say what he thinks, B, still get the vaccine out there, and C, uh, it's saying that you, you, if you don't want to, you don't have to, which obviously uh, most people don't agree with. But he's still actually still pandering to a lot of his constituents in that way too. So it was definitely a well played ad on Yunkin's side. Anyways, on the other side, McAuliffe let out a statement regarding critical race theory, in which he says parents shouldn't have a say in what their child learns in school. All of a sudden, the campaign became about a part of education that really wasn't about education, and quickly, Yunkin comes with ads like this one.
2: These ads from Terry McCullough are simply lying about Glenn Yunkin's education plan. The truth: Glenn Yunkin will increase school funding, Virginia's largest education budget in history. He'll raise teacher pay and challenge our children by raising academic standards. But McCullough would rather lie than talk about his record of lowering standards and failing our children. Terry McAuliffe had his chance. As governor, he failed us. I'm Glenn Youngkin, candidate for governor, and I
1: sponsored this ad.
0: In addition to the previous one, he also had an ad from a real mom whom didn't like the book, beloved being school reading in her child's AP class. McAuliffe saw this as his end to the education battle, apparently, and this was how he responded. Nothing is more important than my children's education. So when I heard about Glenn Youngkin wanting to ban books by prominent black authors, it scared me. Here in Virginia, Youngkin,
2: um, he's campaigning on banning books.
0: We know what this is about. It's the same politics we saw from Donald Trump, meant to divide us. It has no
2: place in our schools and no place in Virginia. Let's choose a better way. I'm Terry McAuliffe, candidate for governor, and I sponsored this ad.
0: Nathan, just from these two short um, ads, who, in your opinion, won the battle on education?
1: Yeah, so you and me talked about it earlier this week, Charles. Um, I, I remember I texted to you and I said, I'm just sat down, I'm reevaluating the election, and how does an established Democrat lose on education, and how does a Trump Party Republican win on education? And it just, it baffles me. And it, I, I think the ads show it very well, that Yunkin wiped the Oregon against Terry when it came to education. Now, I'm not saying that Yunkin's education policies are correct. I'm not saying that I support them, but Yunkin was able to get his policies out there, say what he wanted to say, and it resonate with the American or the people of Virginia. Well, Terry didn't do that at all. It was immediately, let's let's paint uh, Duncan as Trump and not have to address anything that we made mistakes in in the past.
0: Uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I think literally, McAuliffe was probably ahead in the initial race and in polling um, until he had that comment about uh, parents not having a say inside of kids' education because Soon as that came out, it quickly became about uh, education, um, and Mc, uh, McAuliffe uh, lost on I think pretty much a soundbite.
1: Yeah, um, I mean you can you can paint this election any way that you want it. You can say that it was a referendum on Donald Trump being the first big election in the post-Trump era. You can say it was a referendum on Joe Biden. You can say it was a referendum on Terry's previous governorship. At the end of the day, Yunkin made this about education and about parents' choice, and that is why he won.
0: And whose ad do you think was more successful in their respective ploys? You know, with McAuliffe wanting to tie the education theory of the banning books to Yunkin, or do you think Youngkin uh, tying McAuliffe to um, not supporting education
1: in Virginia? Yeah, I, I think Youngkin killed it. Um, not once did he mention the word CRT knowing how controversial it would be. Uh, he talked about wanting to raise pay for teachers. He talked about expanding the budget. These are Democratic platforms that have won Democrats' elections for years. And it's Glenn Youngkin, of all people who are saying these things. And meanwhile, Terry McAfee is sitting there and bringing up Trump and bringing up uh, the separation between two political parties uh, and kind of just separating people from further apart. And and so I got to give credit to Youngkin's uh, team and communication team on this one.
0: I mean, yeah, of course this race had way more ads and way more talking points, but it's important to see how these campaigns are changed as they move forward. And honestly, I think the national attention the race was getting kind of provoked McAuliffe into making it a race against Trump that he forgot he was fighting a well-guided Youngkin. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think Youngkin's team was prepared to adapt to whatever McAuliffe uh, threw at him. Uh, They were able to make this about policy instead of key buzzwords, uh, and, and it seems like that's what Terry wanted to run his campaign on, especially once it got national attention, and Youngkin stuck to trying to reach every single voter possible with things that would resonate with them. and I, as we see in the results, that's more than likely why he won.
0: Of course, that could be the same in the race that never was on anyone's radar. The gubernatorial race in New Jersey between Murphy and Chittarelli was supposed to be open and shut, so why wasn't it? Of course, like before, I haven't heard anything about either of these guys, really, so I needed to do some researching once again, but this time with more of what they believe they could accomplish in the state. Here's Chiaretti's ad on uh, his uh, apologies.
2: Joe Biden isn't up to the job in Washington, and Phil Murphy's failing us back here. Doesn't have to be this way. I'm Jack Cittarelli. As governor, I'll shake things up in Trenton. We'll lower property taxes with a new school funding formula. Create more good paying jobs. And make government work for us, not the special interests. I'll stand with our police and put parents back in charge of their child's education. New Jersey, this election we can change things. We can do better. When I'm governor, we will.
0: And here's Murphy's.
2: My job moving New Jersey forward and making New Jersey work for all of us. That means the best public schools, a stronger economy, a cleaner environment, that justice works for all, working to make healthcare, childcare, and college more affordable. It's building opportunity and protecting our right to vote and our right to choose and always keeping us safe and healthy. That's my job. And with your help, I'll keep working at it. We're not going back.
0: Okay, same question as last time. Which one of these ads do you like more?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna be honest, I love both of these ads, Charles. Um, I I thought they were both very well produced. Um, If you haven't seen either the ads, I highly recommend going to YouTube and watching both of them. They were very well produced, very well written. Um, And so I thought they were both great and very productive and kind of set forth the message of both campaigns moving forward.
0: Yeah, I I think it was pretty interesting uh, upon when I did first actually look for these ads, that we get to see sort of the opposite this time around. Instead of the Republican candidate being tied to Trump, this time the Democratic
1: candidate was tied to Biden.
0: Is that a good move by Chittarelli?
1: Yeah, I think it was a great move by Chittarelli. Um, we, We talked last week about how both of these elections were kind of a referendum on Washington and what has gotten done or lack thereof. And so I think Cittarelli took the opportunity to make this about what's being done on the national stage and throw it back onto Murphy. And I think he executed it perfectly.
0: Yeah, it definitely seemed that Cittarelli campaigned against a democratic national agenda and not so much of the state's one, except for him mentioning lowering property taxes, as that is a somewhat common issue in New Jersey, as we are about to see. But do you think Chitarelli bringing in the national scope hurt or helped them in the election?
1: I think it does help him, uh, and, and I think we're, we saw that in the election results with it being much closer than we expected it to be, is that he made this not strictly about Murphy. He made this about Democrats and wanting change from what's been happening over the past year, and it's something that resonated with a lot of New Jersey voters.
0: Yeah, and I think he, he did a, a a good job um, tying almost immediately Uh, In nearly all of his actual ad videos, um, he initially starts with something that ties uh, Murphy to what he's done before or what he's done with the Democratic National Party. Um, And in a way that makes it seem like Cheddarelli is uh, almost, in a weird way, the Democrat, uh, quote unquote, of this election. Um, He was the one that was more of the straw hat um, and talking to people while he was making Murphy just seem to be the Wall Street business guy.
1: Yeah, and not only did Chitterelli talk about what he stands for as well, he got the free opportunity to take a dig at Murphy. So, uh, I mean, that's political comms to a a 101 to a T. So just a great job by that communications team. So,
0: of course, both candidates opened up their mouths and got sound bites from each other as the election began to near closer and heat up. And, of course, both promptly ran ads against each other. Let's hear Murphy's ad about Chitterellis first and then vice versa.
2: And I would say this. If you're a one-issue voter and tax rate is your issue, we're probably not your state. Not your state? Who says that? Phil Murphy just doesn't get it. But I do. I'm Jack Cittarelli. High taxes is the reason why young people can't afford to get started here, and why our grandparents are forced to leave. Here's the thing. Taxes are an issue for a lot of New Jersey families. But Phil Murphy saying if you don't like it, you should leave is an even bigger one.
0: And the second.
2: If you look at children, children are almost immune from this disease. Trump lied. Now Jack Cittorelli repeats it. Children are not vulnerable to this virus. Wow. is against mask and vaccine requirements for public health care workers and educators. He
1: force schools to stop requiring vaccinations, even for mumps and measles. Extreme politics ahead of science.
2: Children are not vulnerable to this virus. Jack Cittarelli, extreme, dangerous, wrong. So
0: whose soundbite, despite the ad itself, was the worst of the two?
1: So the worst for the two was Phil Murphy's soundbite. You know, he's speaking directly to New Jersey voters. And he says, if you don't like the tax platform, get out. And that that's just that's that's a killer to a campaign
0: yeah and it's actually um pretty obvious in new jersey um pretty i mean they were basically built off being uh near new york and became industrialized really quickly so their property taxes skyrocketed because a lot of people from new york live in new jersey um and their 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 property taxes are insane um if you haven't seen any type of differences in between where you live and then where New Jersey's live. You should probably look it up to see. Um, but it is definitely an ongoing battle um, inside of New Jersey. And the fact that Murphy said that, even without um, any of the actual foliage around the actual question or what he said afterward or what he said before that, him saying that sentence in general was a really bad factor
1: Yeah, and that's something that, you know, candidates have to be very mindful of, is when they say something, they know that it's going to get cut and chopped. Um, So they have to be mindful of every word they say one after another, uh, or you're going to end up in a situation like Phil Murphy did.
0: So who do you think's ad used the soundbite more to their advantage?
1: With that, I think Phil Murphy's ad kind of used it a little bit more to their advantage, um, just because pretty much related it word for word to what Donald Trump had to say. We all recognize that COVID is still a major issue, even in New Jersey. Uh, And and so I think that it's just a tad bit more effective in that sense. Without that being said, Cinderella's uh, ad was still very, very effective.
0: Yeah, and I think this is pretty funny as well, because now they kind of flip-flop roles here. Uh, When they heard Murphy talk about something that was very, very state-dependent, uh, they only talked about it inside of the state. Uh, he he said that New Jersey's old folks were leaving, which obviously is just a commonality inside the Northeastern, uh, older population anyway. A lot of them moved Southeastern for warmer weather and vacation um, and after retirement. So it's a really non-starter, but he continued to mention things that only happened in New Jersey, while on the other side, uh, Murphy now uh, is bringing in Trump into it, um to get that national uh, kind of scope. Do you think that's interesting that they they switched on their issues but didn't switch on their policies?
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely something that's interesting and I, I think you see Phil Murphy taking a note out of Terry McAuliffe's playbook. Um but at the same time, uh it just it has to be noted that both campaigns did classic campaigning 101 of twisting a message into being what they want it to be
0: and and i mean i think this is one of the cases where it's very unfortunate to be the incumbent generally it's nice that people know your name already because there are just voters who vote by name and nothing else but on the other hand they know who was in a position before and had the chance to either tie in their current progress or regress with that same leader which can cause some ill intent to the incumbent did being an incumbent help
1: or hurt murphy more here I think, in this case, it helped Phil Murphy um you know he he barely edged out the victory and and everything indicating that it could very easily just be because of that name recognition you know Um, th- this 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 race ended up being neck and neck and, and so Phil Murphy needed every advantage that he could possibly have, and the acccumbency advantage is one that does exist so
0: I also want to bring in one more topic about campaign advertisements, and this time nationally and within the same party. Let's listen to an ad from both Obama four months from his election day and Biden four months before his.
2: Over the next four months, you have a choice to make. Not just between two political parties or even two people. It's a choice between two very different plans for our country. Governor Romney's plan would cut taxes for the folks at the very top rollback regulations on big banks, and he says that if we do, our economy will grow and everyone will benefit. But you know what? We tried that top-down approach. It's what caused the mess in the first place. I believe the only way to create an economy built to last is to strengthen the middle class, asking the wealthy to pay a little more so we can pay down our debt in a balanced way, so that we can afford to invest in education, manufacturing, and homegrown American energy for good middle-class jobs. Sometimes politics can seem very small, but the choice you face, it couldn't be bigger. I'm Barack Obama, and I approve this message. And
0: in to Biden's.
2: This is Joe Biden. Black Lives Matter, period. I'm not afraid to say it. Inequities have to be met head on. African-Americans need a fair shake when it comes to economic opportunity, health care, criminal justice, education, and housing. That's why, if I'm elected, we'll get COVID under control by listening to the science. We'll raise the minimum wage to a living wage of $15 an hour. We'll protect the Affordable Care Act, provide $100 billion in capital for minority-owned small businesses, offer a real plan to tackle the student debt crisis, We'll root out systemic racism in our criminal justice system and cash bail decriminalize marijuana and automatically expunge prior convictions. Together, we can fix this. Let's build back better. But I can't do it without you. So I'm asking for your vote. So
0: has the Democratic agenda gotten tighter? I mean, with Obama, it was... Pretty vague. It was broad. Um, it had a lot of room for what he could do in it. While with Biden's, it was very specific. Um, he he wanted to put in the money amounts. Uh, are we seeing a, a, like a change in the Democratic uh, agenda being um, a little bit more base by base? Yeah, I,
1: I think we're definitely seeing a a shift towards more policy focused agendas when it comes to the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, Biden is listening specific policies that he wants to see. Uh, and, and I, I think we're also seeing a shift in Republican, uh, campaigning as well, uh, where, uh, Cittarelli and Yonkin both made it a choice decision, uh, just like the Obama came, uh, campaign ad, uh, where you see more of that policy for driven first agenda from, uh, from Phil Murphy and his, in his ads. And and so I think it's kind of telling of what strategies both major parties are taking right now when it comes to trying to win an election.
0: Do you think since Romney was politically more normal than Donald Trump, the advertisements were also politically more normal, as opposed to beginning with, say, Black Lives Matter in 2020?
1: Yeah, for sure. I I think that with the turbulence that came with the Trump presidency— uh, there's been a rise in desire for Americans to see specific policy initiatives, right? Uh, to see a candidate who can sit down and say the Black Lives Matter, you know, which is something that Trump was not even able to do on the, on the uh, debate stage. And, and so uh, I think it's kind of telling of which direction politics is going when it comes to discussing it with the average person. In that we have to be able to sit down and say, we want to do this, 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 and this.
0: So do you think the more new uh, advertisement from Biden is a little bit more useful um, in today's atmosphere? Or do you think maybe Obama's uh, approach could have been as just as useful?
1: i think it shows I, I think both the gubernatorial campaigns show that the choice aspect that obama presents is still a viable option but at the same time i think that the biden approach in discussing specific policies uh is something that shows long-term growth but also leaves uh, people to be held accountable right uh, the same issues that we heard biden speak about in his campaign Uh, in his ad is the same issues that we saw Siderelli bring up against Phil Murphy. And so I think it shows that there has to be some type of accountability when when we have this type of campaigning as well. So
0: with all that discussion in the rearview mirror, I want to put us up to the challenge of creating our own ad campaign when it comes to what America says are his key concerns right this instant. We would say our election day is in the current where Biden boasts a low 38% approval rate, COVID is still here. The Democratic Party seems lost on where they agree, and we failed to bring troops and those that aided America back. In other words, the Democratic climate is shit, and we both have Ds next to our name. If you had an ad, what would you say about the economy?
1: Right now, I would sit there and I would talk about our plans that we have developing right now. We just passed the largest infrastructure bill in American history. We're about to pass the largest reconciliation bill in American history. We are trying to make change for the everyday American that they can show and have appreciation for.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think I'd be the same. I think I'd put the bills in the forefront. Um, and I would also follow up with just the amount of jobs that have been added in the past year, because um, it's somewhere near almost half a million. Um, and even with that being said, uh, the the unemployment rate is also fell too. Uh, since the beginning of COVID. So I think there's a lot of ways that you could combat economy in this instance that doesn't revolve around you going straight to something else. But what about education?
1: So when it comes to education, right now, I think the most important thing is that we talk about the budget aspect of things. Uh, CRT, even though it's not being taught in public schools, uh, CRT is a very decisive issue among Republican voters right now. Uh, school choice and so we need to talk about funding education first and foremost more than anything talk about teachers being paid what they so rightfully deserve i think that needs to be the democratic focus moving forward and how we address education and campaigns
0: yeah and i think um you hit it right up with the addressing teachers pay um and wages uh and that could easily tie into economy um and how we can improve on that But I think I probably would have just actually sat and talked about critical race theory in the way that it's being talked about, maybe not so much in the way that um, the dictionary states it. Obviously, we've been over this, Um, a lot of people have been over this. The actual critical race theory is something in little college-level classes. It's not something being taught um, in elementary school. But um, a lot of people have just kind of turned it into a general theory that it's just about race um, inside schools. And I think if people, for people to understand it, I think we need to actually get to the lower standard of what critical race theory has become um, and stop pretending like uh, it's too, uh, like its own uh, definition and talk about it as the two separate definitions it's become.
1: Uh, but what about, yeah. oh, go ahead. Yeah, and it's kind of a double edged sword because uh, we have the people who are against learning about CRT well, the only way to educate yourself on what CRT is is to learn about CRT, right? Um, And and so the fact that we're sitting here having this debate when people don't even really know what critical race theory is, I, I think it's kind of just a dumbfounded approach, and that's why I personally want to say, let's just stay away from it and address how we can better fix education as a whole.
0: And what would you say about the environment?
1: So when it comes to the environment, I think we have to talk about BBB, right? We're, we're making these progressive steps and we're talking about how we have a short amount of time uh, and talk about the accomplishments that we've made already in the Biden administration simply by rejoining the Paris Climate Accord Agreements, right? Um, we're, we're quickly, quickly approaching steps that we have to make in order to save our environment and we're still not necessarily there yet. Anything that needs to be the message is we're not there yet.
0: Yeah, I think that would have been the same message for me. Um, I would have immediately brought up the Paris Accord uh, Agreement just because I think a lot of people forgot about it originally. Um, And having that tied in with what the BBB has in its framework would undeniably help uh, tie in the entire of the society into actually approaching
1: this BBB with uh, hopes held high. But what about COVID? So when it comes to COVID, I, I think the one message that we have to make is one: it's not over yet, right? Two: we have to be, clear. we have to acknowledge that some people are simply are just never going to get the vaccine. It is what it is at this point. But we have to have that personal responsibility to make our own choice and do what we need to do to protect ourselves and protect others.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's kind of gotten to the point where we might need to stop talking about COVID as a pandemic um, and maybe it just being an endemic and a thing that we just have to live with for the rest of our lives. Obviously, that'll change a little bit um, with vaccinations and as that increases, but it it might need to start uh, changing um, into an endemic and uh, somebody has to bring up that topic at some point. Otherwise, it's just going to hang in the air for too long. But what about saying something about your opponent? Perhaps it's a stereotypical Wall Street Republican. Are you attacking him or are you going after the party
1: yet? So right now, I think we have to go after the individual candidate. Um, I think we see that the attacks on the Donald Trump Republican Party simply aren't resonating with people right now, especially in New Jersey and Virginia. And so I think... What makes an ad more effective is talking about the person individually, and we just talked about how people are becoming more policy oriented and policy initiative based, and and so that gives you plenty of ammunition to use against the candidate that you're running against.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I think people are, are over Trump at this point. Obviously, when he comes back, assuming he does come back, which we pretty much all know he's going to try to come back. But when he does, then it's a the topic for that discussion. But at, in this climate right now, it, it, he's he's gone. He's been gone for a year. He's not on social media. Nobody is really talking about Trump unless you are specifically following politics. So now, seeing Trump's name inside your advertisements are um, a, a little more annoying than they are. Uh, help. Pushing someone to your side. So again, I agree with you. I think I'm going against my actual opponent and not really the Republican uh, party and uh, as a whole.
1: Yeah, we talk about Zoom fatigue through COVID. Um, well, especially with me working remotely, I I am very much Zoom fatigued. Right. I'm also Trump fatigued. I don't want to keep hearing about him. Um, his his candidacy is over. His administration is over at least for an angle. Um, and so let's let's get back to talking about the political issues I and mean, Democrats are seemingly having a hard time doing such.
0: Yeah, I mean, based off what we've had here, I, I'd say that we have a pretty good chance of um, actually winning our relations um, just off using what we know um, and have seen just recently. But that's going to take us to our next break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about our hills and valleys and what we're looking forward to next week. You've enjoyed listening to our words. Now enjoy reading them. Go check out our blog and, in general, website at capitalseedspod.wixsite.com slash website. That's capital, as in capital hill, C S com slash website. And we are back. Nathan, is that time again for our hill and valley where we say who deserves a yay and who deserves a nay. We're going to flip it this week and end on a positive. So who is your valley of the week?
1: Okay, so um, for my Valley of the Week, uh, this one is going to be an interesting one, but it's the one and only uh, Alexandria, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, while AOC redeemed herself in her response to Paul Gosar's discussing video, uh, we do have to talk about her vote on infrastructure this week. Um, AOC acknowledged that BIF and BBB are two intertwining bills, and yet she still refused to support BIF because it's. simply simply did not do enough. And while I, with AOC we shouldn't settle for what this country needs, I think it's fair to say that the US desperately needs infrastructure, and truly some is better than none. Uh, However, AOC later tweeted out that BIF is a lock and BBB is a key, and that the only way to unlock BIF is with BBB. But it seems like to me that AOC is simply collecting keys without a purpose right now. Uh, So her priorities seem to be a little bit in question.
0: Well, after dooming the entire Democratic Party last week, my valley is going to be the Senate of Georgia. Remember that talk we had about redistricting? Well, it's still going on and the Senate of Georgia, who houses 34 Republicans to 22 Democrats by the way, just passed a map that is abysmal for any hope of the Democratic Party taking the chamber. It's almost like the Republicans are reeling and are taking advantage of everything they can while they know Georgia is slowly becoming more of the color of the sky. What about your heel?
1: Yeah, so uh, Fred Upton is my Hill of the Week. Uh, Upton, who is one of the uh, representatives from the state of Michigan, uh, was one of the few Republicans to vote in support of the infrastructure bill. Uh, And now, first and foremost, he's making it onto my Hill for simply voting for the bipartisan bill and being one of the few to also vote for the impeachment of Donald Trump back in January. It's clear that Upton will not let GOP scare tactics stand in the way of his beliefs. However, my second reason, empathy. Uh, after voting for the infrastructure bill, Upton received some threats against him and his family with some language that uh, probably won't even be said on this podcast. Uh, the calls come after Marjorie Taylor Greene posted the names and phone numbers of every GOP member who voted for the bill, calling them traitors. Uh, so my, my message to Upton, keep your head up and keep fighting the good fight.
0: So, my hill is going against you, but I'm going with AOC. Look, I'm aware she voted no for the bipartisan bill, and I was mad, and after a 91-minute conversation on her Instagram Live about why she voted no, I was understanding. In all my years of hearing opinions, I would never just blatantly disrespect an opinion that is well stated and backed by other thought processes in a logical manner. She did just that. While I don't agree with everything she said, she found faults and I do understand why her vote, and probably the other five votes, were no's. And while she was remarkably poised with this, she was fire and brimstone when dealing with Ghost Hard's recent tweet in which a thread she basically says, been here, done that, show me some consequences, or get out of my face with inconveniences. I appreciate it. Anyways, that's all we have for this episode. I'm already sad we are ending, but we will be back next week to talk about even more, and possibly might even have our first guest.
1: We'll see. Thank you for listening, and once again, I'm Charles Greenley. And I'm Nathan Cronkleton. We'll see you next week on Capital C's.
0: This podcast was brought to you by the creative efforts of Charles Greenley and Nathan Cronkleton. To stay up to date with our upcoming podcast episodes and when they will be updating, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Capital C's Pod. That's capital like Capitol Hill. C-S-Pod. Thanks for listening, and we will be back with more From the Hill.